Hey there, football fans. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of Ohio Football Weekly with Marty Bannister. In today's episode, Marty chats with the playoff guru himself, Joe Idol. It's week 10 of the season, so you know Joe is exhausted, but he takes the time out of his week to explain exactly how the computer rankings are put together. It's a great interview, and you surely don't want to miss it. Later on in the program, we chat with Mike Dyer from WCPO.com as we dive into football down in Cincinnati. Then to round out the program, Ray Jinsky from ESPN 900 and Maslin joins us to talk about one of the oldest rivalries in the state as the Washington Tigers are set to host the McKinley Bulldogs in the classic matchup. This program is presented by the Ohio Citrus Cell and Health Association. The NCAA is requiring all athletes to obtain a negative test, and the Ohio Citrus Cell and Health Association is here to answer all of your questions and help you on your way. For more information, visit ohiocitrusell.org. Also, just an update on some of the happenings here at Yamo Media. If you like sports debate, be sure to check out That's Debatable every Tuesday at 8 p.m. live on our YouTube channel and Facebook. This Sunday, October 23rd, you can catch the Coach Howard College preseason special. He'll be joined by Chris Holtman from Ohio State, Sean Miller from Xavier, Wes Miller from Cincinnati, and Bob Huggins from West Virginia. That starts Sunday at 6 p.m. live on our YouTube channel, and if you miss the live stream, you can always go back and watch it afterwards. Lastly, we'll be launching Girls Only in November as well. Girls Only is a basketball program hosted by Tanisha Benson of the Ohio Girls Basketball Report and Candace Allen, an alumni from the Score on Air Network, as they discuss players and teams throughout the state of Ohio. That starts every other Wednesday starting November 16th. Once again, thanks for checking out this episode of Ohio Football Weekly with Marty Bannister. Here's the man himself. And it is that week where we all really follow the high school football computer rankings and really dive into them. And he's been a guest in our program many times before. Earlier this year, he visited with us and we thought, well, we're in the last week of the regular season. Let's get one more word, the final word of the regular season, I guess, from our friend Joe Idle, who joined us tonight. Joe, always good to see you. I, I asked you when we had you on earlier this year how busy weeks are for you. Is this week any different being the last week of the regular season? Or for you, is it just simply, well, we just continue to plug and put everything into where we normally put it. But is it, is it any busier for you this week? Uh, not really. Uh, it's, it's pretty much business as usual. You know, I've got my standard uh, handful of Thursday night games and then the 300 plus Friday games and a 10 to 20 on Saturday. So it, it, from my perspective, it, it's pretty much, uh, business as usual. Just uh, I just try to be a little quicker. So uh, I know <laughs> a lot of coaches, coaches are refreshing often and uh, they want to kind of see if, if their status changes to clinch spot or finish a home game or, or what have you. Do you get calls or emails or texts or anything from coaches asking you questions about uh, what, what do we need to do to win this week? Or uh, I'm mean, sure you've, you, you've, you've heard it from fans and things along those lines, but do you get questions for calls from coaches? Uh, yeah, I get, I get a lot of uh, emails and uh, Twitter messages as well, you know, kind of asking exactly what you said, like what, what needs to happen for us to get in or what needs to happen for us to get a home game or what happens if you know another team wins will they pass us things, things like that so yeah i get a handful of those I've, I've actually got a backlog of those i gotta work through here in the next uh, day or two <laughs> well it's funny some of the I, coaches... I, I never get through all of them but i, I, try I wouldn't to get doubt it through I as would, many as i can i would doubt it <laughs> it's funny some of the coaches i talk to during the week especially in a week like this I, I always ask them the question if it's a game that has playoff implications and i get a chance to call one of those friday night in the southern part of the state, but I always ask them, are, do you spend time looking at those? Do you watch them? And, and I'm sure there are a lot, a lot of the coaches take the coaches answer. No, we don't pay any attention to that. But then there are some, and these are probably the guys you hear from that say, you know, we have a guy on our, on our staff. That's his, one of his duties mm -hmm. is to watch Joe Idle and watch the poll. So I, I don't think it's all that surprising that you're getting calls like that. Is it? Uh, no, not really. Uh, it's, you know, I've been doing this for 20, 23 years now, so it, it kind of comes with the territory. I, I get a handful of those each year. So, and like you said, uh, a lot of the coaches have someone on their staff that uh, is familiar with the system and kind of knows how it works. Um, you know, kind of just bounce ideas off of me to you know, see if, if they're also coming up with the same conclusions about who needs to win and who needs to lose. 
In looking at the rankings, and I, I go through them a lot to see where teams from the area, I call some games in are located, and, and some other schools that I've followed over the years and to see what chances they have. For example, I've brought up on my, on my laptop here, I have uh, Division One region number three, which is basically uh, the, the 18 schools in that region are all from the Ohio Capital Conference. And you look towards the bottom of that, and of the, well, the goodness, almost half the teams that will get in right now have losing records. That could change, certainly going in uh, to uh, or after Friday night. But uh, on the far right of that, as you move over about three or four columns, you have with a win, they could be between four or 10. With a loss, they could be between nine and 13. And that's one of the things I think that uh, the possible seed ranges, I think that may be the spot, Joe, where a lot of people spend a lot of their time looking at because Every, again, most coaches I talk to, they want to be in the top eight. They want to host one of those first-round games. So when they get ready to play, they have a pretty good idea of where they're going to be coming out of the game. But is, is, is that one of the, the, the portions of what you do that probably gets some of the most hits, you would think? Uh, yeah, especially here this final week. Uh, and, and that's kind of – I actually put that with a win with a loss in last year. Um, it was kind of a suggestion that uh, someone made on Twitter, and it's been something I – kind of tossed around uh, for a while and I just went ahead and did it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, uh, and, and my recommendation would be if you're looking at my site on Friday night as scores are entered, granted it takes me usually three hours to enter them all in. So you'll, you'll see things kind of in flux throughout the night. So the, the current rank all the way on the left will become meaningless. Um, it, it's, uh, that's, that's kind of where you were at after nine weeks, that tells you nothing in terms of week 10. Uh, whereas the column you're mentioning there, that kind of gives you the idea of where you'll be uh, after the week 10, uh, at least after your game finishes. Like you said, you could be between four and 10 with a win. Well, that just, that tells you that your your game alone isn't enough. You've got to wait for the other games to kind of come in, your second level games, your other teams in the region that may pass you or fall below you and whatnot. So that, that's really the key column uh, to follow um, on Friday night. The, the level two column, Joe, that's the one that I think teams really, or coaches or whomever's doing it for a team or fans, whatever, that's the one that really, I think, kind of holds the most weight. I, am I correct in that? Because you get points from the teams you beat and you get their points, and that factors into the level two, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm voicing it correctly. So that's maybe the, one of the more important categories of all the ones you have listed there. Uh, certainly, that's the level two is, for the majority of teams, uh, at least the teams at the top, that's that's where the most of your points are going to come from. That's your 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 ranking is is almost always directly correlated to that in some way, shape, or form. Now, with the expanded playoffs down to 16, you know, as you get kind of lower down in some of the divisions, the 16th team may only have like seven or 10 second level points. So in that case, uh, it actually has a little less uh, importance, and your level one points may come into play more uh, that's kind of a unique thing we've only kind of been seeing here with the expanded playoffs mm -hmm. but uh when it used to be eight eight top eight um it was almost you know your second level points are are huge um it it's a huge percentage of your total when you get to this point of the season the movement for a team won't be that great. For example, you've already got, again, I'll reference the one I, I'm looking at right now, that, that region of Division One where Gahanna has clinched the number one spot and they've also clinched a home game. Chances are teams aren't going to fall a lot of spaces. I mean, some of the things, the projections you have in the possible seed ranges, there's a two to six. Pickering to North, for example, uh, with a loss could drop, could end up anywhere between two and ten. That looks to be one of the wider spreads in that. But you, normally, Joe, you don't see a team take a deep plunge if they lose a game this week of the regular season, if they're one of the top 16 teams, one of the top eight teams, do you? Uh, I would say normally I would say that's true. <laughs> uh, and, and a lot of times that, that low range is almost like a chaos you know, type of range. You, you'd have to have a, quite a string of upsets in order for a team to kind of plunge that far uh, normally. Now, there was a scenario, I believe, uh, I don't know, four, four or five years ago where uh, uh, Kenston High School, Geauga County, was they were number two after nine weeks, but they hadn't clinched and they didn't control their destiny. You know, they had a, I think they were playing a team that only had maybe two wins and there were seven or eight teams directly underneath them that all had huge uh, 
games in terms of points with like, you know, playing a team with six wins, seven wins, eight wins. And enough of those teams won that all of them jumped Kenston and Kenston fell down to, I believe, number nine and missed the playoff. Wow. And I believe I believe the next year they actually uh, won the state title. So who knows what could have happened here. But uh, normally they, you won't fall that much, but it's certainly uh, depending on who the other teams in your region are playing, um, uh, it's certainly possible. And I think the great thing about this is, and there's been so much debate, Joe, and I'm sure you've heard it as well, too, about the expansion to 16 and what that has done. Some There's a great faction that say it's diluted the postseason. Uh, a team that's 3-6 and six or 3-7 and seven has no business trying to play for a state championship. And I get that argument. But what it's also done as well, too, is you get to this point of the season, and there are games that five years ago, four years ago, before this format was instituted, that other than bragging rights and whatnot, really wouldn't be a whole lot of interest to fans. Well, now you've got a truckload of games, uh, especially those teams that are on the fringe of the 8-9 of the line, uh, that want to win, and, and it means a lot, and they know they're in, but they have a chance to get a home game and, or improve their seating. So not that games don't mean anything at all, but this just adds a little bit of extra oomph to what you're seeing on Friday nights. I think that, from that standpoint, it, it's a good thing. Uh, yeah, I, I would, I would, I would agree with that. And like, like you mentioned, I, I see that point too. You know, a free win team probably isn't going to make any noise in the playoffs. But uh, in in some regions, the 16th seed won't be a free win team. There, there are some where it might be a five and five team. Um, and we saw uh, uh, St. Xavier and Cincinnati a handful of years ago. They went in the playoffs five and five, and they they won a championship. So um, uh, that's probably not going to be a likely scenario, but um, I don't know. You look at a Region 8 and a team like uh, LaSalle at Cincinnati kind of hanging in there. Um, I, I wouldn't want to play LaSalle in the first <laughs> round if they're a 16 seed, um, you know, if they, if they happen to get in. Uh, so it, it's it's unlikely that a team like that would make noise, but uh, it, it, it could happen. It in could the happen. Absolutely. One of the ones we're going to talk about rivalries coming up here shortly. And one of the teams that I was looking at was, was Kent McKinley. And they're five and four right now. They lost their first four games. Now they've won five in a row. And they're third in their region. It's a power pack region they happen to reside in in Division One. They just happen to be, have the luck of being stuck in the region with St. Ed and Mentor and people like that. But at the same time, they're five and four. They're fourth in their region. And again, I would think they kind of fall into that category as well, too, Joe, that you just mentioned. Uh, four losses, you don't want to see them in the first round. Uh, that, that's a pretty good football team. So, again, that's where the rankings, yeah. I think, are, are, are – you can look at them uh, different ways, but that's where I think when you look at those records, you kind of maybe toss them out the window a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree completely. Um, you know, even, even extending Ignatius, you know, it's uh, Chuck Prowse last year. Who knows what's going to happen? You know, they might make a run. They're uh, five wins and uh, mm -hmm. uh, potentially six here after this week. But uh, yeah, it, once especially in Division One, I, I mean, it, all the teams here, um, you know, have athletes. There's no doubt. You know, you get athletes on the field in a playoff atmosphere. Anything can happen. And there's no question. Uh, and uh, as we wrap it up, Joe, uh, it's an exciting time. I know it'll be a busy time for you as well, too, uh, with all this coming up. Uh, what is it like for you the week after the, 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 the computer is all tabulated, everything is all set, and the playoffs are underway? Do you just kind of sit back and lay back in the chair and just kind of relax and pop open a cold one? I got through another year with no problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, basically, yeah. That's, that sounds accurate. You can say it in a um, minute. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a huge relief, you know, to get through that tenth week and and hope and pray that this isn't the year that I flip a week ten score and mark someone as clinched when I didn't. Um, I don't, I don't think I've had that problem since the first year when I uh, used a different source for scores, um, and there were like five or six wrong scores in the, the final week. So, uh, need to say that's not the source I use anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, I have had a pretty good, uh, track record here lately, so I don't want to jinx that. I remember, uh, <laughs> one more question is, just kind of popped to my mind and, uh, our showrunner Adam Dell, uh, mentioned it as well too. And it's a great question. I'm sure people would like to know this as well too. You, you touched on it. Your scores, where do you get them from? I'm sure right now, social media, there's so many different venues to do that, but, and you can run into situations where somebody is not reporting a score correctly. So you have a number of options to kind of fall back on, I would think, and just double check all your work, don't you? Uh, yeah, so uh, 
majority of them I get from Twitter, from especially the school accounts, the athletic directors or coaches or whoever, uh, as well as sports writers throughout the local areas. Um, those are kind of the ones I kind of rely on the most just because, you know, generally they're covering the game, you know, and I can also follow the updates as they occur. So I can kind of see um, if something uh, looks out of place. There was a scenario earlier in the year where um, one, one of the school accounts accidentally re reversed their own score at the end, but I had been following along and, and I knew they were winning. Uh, so I was able to kind of detect that. That's, um, so yeah, it happens, but uh, so yeah, that's why I kind of try to get, uh, you know, folks that I believe are at the game uh, whenever possible. And then uh, for the others, uh, I kind of rely on uh, some emails and um, whatnot from coaches. Uh, sometimes those come, you know, an hour after the game, which we know why sometimes it takes three hours to finally enter all the scores. But uh, it's, I actually find um, quite a, quite a large amount on just on Twitter these days. Right. That's the one thing about social media. So, so many yeah. active. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a busy place on Fridays when you're talking high school sports, no doubt about it. Joe, it's always a pleasure having you on and talking to you about the high school football playoffs. And you do great work, and I know I, I speak for a lot of people when I say we really appreciate the effort you put into this and uh, your association with, with the OHSCA as far as how you handle all of this. It's, uh, it, it's something that I think high school football fans love. Uh, they spend so much time going to that site right there that we have up on our, our webpage, our, up on our uh, screen right now, uh, so folks can access it as well too. Uh, it's always a pleasure. I thank you for your time and uh, sit back and relax next week, would you? And just kind of take it easy. <laughs> yeah, I'll try. <laughs> Thanks, Marty. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Joe, Joe Idle joining us here tonight on OhioFootballWeekly.com. He almost looked like, like he's ready to do that right now, didn't he? Like he's, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to take a break out of all this right now. But again, uh, he does great work. And I'll tell you this, I, I I have trouble opening my own email, and I would have a hard time doing what he does. And uh, as, I, as I mentioned, I'm sure I speak for a lot of high school football fans across the state of Ohio uh, that we're thankful for what he does and the effort he puts into it. So, again, thanks to Joe Idle. All right, let's move along now and get to our Super 7 as we roll along here on Ohio Football Weekly. We go to the final week of the regular season. We talked with Joe Idle. Of course, his computer rankings are the ones that really stand out. But the Associated Press has, has been covering high school football for years and years and years, and they do a great job of putting out their top 10 polls each and every week and getting uh, opinions from around the state. And while it may not be the thing that decides state championships anymore, it did at one time. There are a number of teams that claim state championships from being ranked number one in the final AP poll before the state went to playoffs. But uh, it's still something important, and it's still something for us. It's a sense of pride for a lot of programs. So as we hit week number 10, let's take a look at the top seven around the state of Ohio. We go to number one, and we have a new number one in Division One. It's Lakewood St. Edward. They beat Cincinnati Molder last week, the previous number one, six to nothing. A couple of field goals in that game, the difference, and St. Edward with the win. How about this game they have coming up this Friday night? Division two number one, Akron Hoban. Uh, that would be a great game to be a part of and go watch. Uh, the only game that Ed St. Edward has lost this year, well, to Maslin, Washington, 31-28. Five of their games have been decided by a touchdown or less. They're the new number one in Division I. All right, we just told you about the number one in Division Two, and that's Akron Hoban. They're 9-0. They blasted Benedictine last week, 48-0, and have that game with St. Edward coming up on Friday. Their closest game, a 12-point win over Walsh Jesuit, 40 or more points they've scored in six of their nine games this season. The Akron Hoban unbeaten number one team in the state in Division Two. To Division Three, Hamilton Baden stays atop the pole. They beat Middletown Fenwick last week 14-6. They have a big rivalry game with Cincinnati McNicholas coming up this Friday. Three of their wins have been by shutouts, and those were all in a row, weeks four, five, and six. They've had three games, including the last two, decided by a touchdown or less. But as a mark of a good team, they have managed to win those games, and they're rolling along at 9-0. Division 4, the number one team in the state is Cleveland-Glenville. Had their game last week scheduled with John Adams canceled. They play host to 7-2 John Hay coming up on Friday night. Their last five games have all been decided by shutouts. They have six shutouts overall. Two of their wins, though, have been by a total of 12 points. And as you see, their other six are all shutout victories. Cleveland-Glenville, the Tar Blooders, remain number one in the state. In Division Four, Coldwater stays atop the Division Five poll at nine and zero. Last week they beat Versailles in an absolute instant classic, 35-34 in overtime. This week they get the number one ranked team in the state 
in Division Six. Maria Stein, Marion Local, only number one ranked team in the state, Coldwater. That's not ranked number one in their region in the computer. They're second right now, but that with a victory on Friday, I think, would change. But that's going to be a, a, a tall task. And what a game that's going to be, uh, Marion Local and Coldwater on Friday night. Coldwater's won their last two games by a grand total of eight points. But none of their prior seven were decided by 10 points or less. So when they've hit the stretch run, they've, they've had to uh, battle to win, and they've done so. Coldwater, number one in the state in Division Five. There are the Flyers, Maria Stein, Marion Local. They hammered St. Henry last week, 35 to nothing. And as mentioned, at number one, Coldwater in Division Five. They allowed 10 or more points in just one game. They've posted a half dozen shutouts, and they really haven't been tested. They've won each of their nine games by 20 or more points. Got a feeling that might change on Friday night when they take on Coldwater. Uh, again, that should just be a classic, classic high school football game. And rounding out things as we drop down to Division 7, they stay atop the pole at 7-1. That's Warren JFK. They beat Cleveland Central Catholic last week by the score of 44-8. This week they play 4-4 four four Southeast to close out the regular season. JFK has clinched a playoff spot. One of their wins by one point over 7-1 Garfield, 22-21. So that's your top seven around the state of Ohio according to the Associated Press. Well, we talked earlier about Week 10 and the rivalry games and some of the huge games that are coming up across the state of Ohio. So I thought it would be fun to maybe take a look and run down some of those games. Now, this is not a complete list of all the major rivalry games. I want to thank those of you that follow us uh, and follow me on Twitter. I asked this question last night on Twitter and right away got flooded with answers about what are great rivalry games across the state of Ohio. So we thought we'd bring some of those to you, give you a chance to see some of the big games and where and, and the, the big rivalry games. Uh, me, I'm a rivalry guy. I love rivalry games. And I think they should be played in week 10. Now, I know a lot of teams will play their big rival week number one or play them in week number five. But I, so there's something about playing your biggest rival. I guess maybe that's you know, growing up in Ohio. Well, what do you play the last week of the regular season? You play Michigan on the last week of the regular season. So I think that's where a lot of that comes from. But uh, this week 10 of the high school football season, there are a truckload of rivalry games across the state of Ohio. We talked about Maslin McKinley, oldest rivalry in the state of Ohio, started in 1894. And if I'm not mistaken, we'll ask Ray Jeske this, but I think they play that game Saturday afternoon uh, in, um, in Northeast Ohio. Uh, I think they moved that game to Saturday afternoon a number of years back. I could be wrong on that, but I know they have played it on Saturday afternoons in the past. Also in that part of the state, North Canton Hoover and Maslin Jackson, We'll get after one another. That's a huge rivalry game. Upper Arlington and Hilliard-Davidson meet. That's in the central Ohio area. Uh, that's always been an intense get-together when those two see one another. Maybe not with playoff implications or conference championships, but nonetheless, it's a big rivalry. The 100th meeting between Newark and Lancaster takes place on Friday night. Lancaster getting a, 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 a new stadium, and they're going to play their last game in their current situation and then play host to Newark. The 100th meeting between Newark and Lancaster. Pickering and Central and Reynoldsburg meet on Friday night, the Battle of Route 256. If you know anything about the east side of uh, the Columbus area, those two will see each other on Friday night. Down along the southern part of the state of Ohio, the second oldest rivalry in Ohio is the Ironton-Portsmouth game. Two schools separated by about 28 miles. They will play one another on Friday night. The first time they ever saw one another on the football field, the game ended in a scoreless tie. Of course, that won't happen this year, but it's still, it's a huge rivalry game in Ironton, number two in the state in Division Five. Back up into the northwest part of the state in the Toledo area, Sylvania Southview gets Sylvania Northview on Friday. Maumee and Perrysburg meet. Springfield and Anthony Wayne, a big rivalry, see one another. Toledo Central Catholic, Toledo Central Francis, uh, Toledo St. Francis, uh, we'll play one another. St. Francis is a program that's had a lot of success over the years. That should be an intense get-together. Washington Courthouse and Miami Trace will meet on Friday in Fayette County. Washington Courthouse will host that game. Those schools separated by about five or six miles in that part of the state, and that's always an intense get-together. Salina St. Mary's will meet up in the Western Buckeye League on Friday night. And another huge rivalry game, Delphus Jefferson and Spencerville meet on Friday night. Uh, and again, these all huge rivalry games in the state of Ohio. Many of them play for trophies uh, as well when they hit week number 10. Another one of the rivalries in the state that has gone over the century mark in terms of number of years played, Dover, New Philadelphia face each other on Friday night. Ursuline and Cardinal Mooney, Norwalk St. Paul and Monroeville play one another. Also Bellevue and Clyde, that's the battle of Route 20 up in uh, the north central part of the state. Uh, another uh, intense, intense rivalry. I got a really nice tweet from a, a follower yesterday telling me a little bit more about this game. Martins Ferry and Bel Air 
will meet one another. The two towns are about seven miles apart, and they just get after one another. It's an intense, heated rivalry. Uh, he showed me a picture of the game in 1997 where there were about 14,000 people on hand to watch Martins Ferry and Bell Air play in uh, that rivalry game. Uh, back in the uh, central Ohio area, out in Muskingum County, Sheridan and New Lexington will get together. Both those teams are 8-1 and one and playing for uh, playoff uh, seeding in that game. Olentangy Marysville, uh, you go back in the day uh, when there was just one Olentangy High School. There are four now, uh, but this was a big game in the old Central Buckeye League when they would play one another, and that rivalry has continued Olentangy Marysville. And Mansfield Senior and Mansfield Madison will play one another on Friday night. Mansfield seniors had the upper hand in that game uh, a number of times over the last few years, and that game will be one of the big ones coming up on Friday in the state of Ohio. So those are your big games. Now, of course, the biggest one, we're going to talk to Ray Jeske in the next half hour of the program uh, and get his thoughts on this. Uh, but the, here it is, McKinley-Maslin, uh, the longest-running rivalry in the state of Ohio. Uh, they'll face each other coming up on, uh, again, this weekend with uh, Maslin, number two in the state in Division Two at seven and one. And Kent McKinley at uh, five and four, and uh, in the computer rankings, they are fourth in their region. So a lot rides on that for them. They could get a home game with a win on that one. We talked about the Marion local Coldwater game. Well, that's a huge one as well too. Uh, so much riding on the outcome of that one in the Midwest Athletic Conference. It is basically, and it is, the MAC championship game uh, when those two see one another. Number one in Division Six, number one in Division Five, and again that comes up on. Uh, Friday night and there's that Akron Hoban Lakewood St. Edward game and that comes up again on Friday that will be a fun one to watch as well too as those two powerhouse teams go at one another high school football in the state of Ohio well, rivalry there's not, not nothing like it it's a, it's a big night coming up of high school football all across this state of Ohio all right we're gonna take a time out when we come back we're going to visit with our friend Mike Dyer from the southern part of the state Cincinnati to be more precise and talk about high school football in the greater Cincinnati area we'll do that when we come back Ohio Football Weekly rolls on Hello, I am Amy J. Ross Womack, the Executive Director of the Ohio Sickle Cell and Health Association. And I'm here to talk to the parents and student athletes about a very important topic. The NCAA has instituted different standards for all divisions of student athletes. Before you can play sports in any college or university, you must present a negative trait status or hemoglobin status documentation. Your hemoglobin status is taken at birth with the newborn screening. And what they do is they run your blood for any abnormality or any birth defect. There are thousands of newborn screening birth defects in this country. For more information about sickle cell disease, sickle cell trait testing, you can call our offices at 614-228-0157. Or you can visit us via web at ohiosicklecell.org. Hey everybody, it's Coach Howard coming to you to remind you that October the 23rd is the Coach Howard College Preseason Special. My special guest for the evening would be Chris Holtman from Ohio State, Sean Miller from Xavier, Wes Miller from the University of Cincinnati, and Coach Bob Huggins from West Virginia University. We'll be talking about the upcoming season, talking about the players that they have, and talking about their chances of making it to the dance. I look forward to seeing you October the 23rd from 6 to 8 on the Coach Howard College Preseason Special. Thank you. Talk about a show and talk about guests. Holy mackerel. Coach Howard uh, hitting it out of the park right away with his debut program coming up on Sunday right here on Yamo Media. Some pretty big names as far as college basketball coaching. We're almost The college basketball season starts November 7th. So uh, we're rapidly rolling in on that. So join it right here uh, for that show, the Coach Howard Basketball Show on Sunday night right here on Yamo Media. Should be a great program coming up uh, talking college basketball across, uh, well, across the landscape. You talk about, the again, the Chris Holtman, Sean Miller, uh, Bob Huggins. Should be a great show, and certainly you'll enjoy that here on Yamo Media, one of the many, many programs we have for you. As I talked about before we hit the break, big year, uh, as seemingly it always is, in the city of Cincinnati for high school football, and they have a number of teams that, well, Moeller was number one in the state just until this weekend. Cincinnati went Woods, the defending state champion in Division II, and they're rolling right along this season. I had a chance to spend some time earlier today with our friend Mike Dyer from WCPO Television in Cincinnati, who was their high school sports reporter, and we talked high school football from the city of Cincinnati. Talk first of all, Mike, you've been covering high school football and high school sports in the Cincinnati area for a long, long time, and I, I guess 
you're a lot like I am in this regard. It's, I think anything anymore, Mike, it's kind of a labor of love for you, isn't it? It's something you really, really enjoy, isn't it? It really is, Marty. I mean, I've been doing this uh, here in Cincinnati since 2004 and overall in the state of Ohio since 2000. I'm an Akron native um, and, and came down here and uh, it, the high school sports here is just really second to none. And I say that as a, uh, you know, born in Northeast Ohio and everything like that. But when you look at every sport, not just in football, but it is so ultra competitive. And, um, you know, you go through, you know, whether it's the city of Cincinnati, the suburbs, the public schools, the, the private schools. I mean, it is just pound for pound, some excellent competition straight across the board. So I really enjoy it every year. I've talked to other people in the area, Mike, and coaches when I've called games involving teams from Cincinnati. There seems to be just a different, I don't know what the word is, maybe feel about the way high school football is conducted there and the mindset. There's just a different feel about it. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, if I had a dime for every time somebody asked me, what is it about Cincinnati high school football? What makes it so good? I think I'd be a rich man. I wouldn't be on your podcast right now, Marty. But uh, no, I think it's just, you know, so many of these feeder programs, there's such a tradition, obviously, uh, across the board. And in some schools more than others, obviously. But, uh, you know, you speak about the Molars of the world and St. Xavier's and uh, Cincinnati Colerain. And, uh, you know, it, it just goes across the board, really. Um you know, but it, I think at the at the heart of it is the coaching too. You have such great coaches here. Um, I was just actually uh, watching another interview with uh, Elder Coach Doug Ramsey, and uh, he's been a part of the Skyline Chili Crosstown Showdown all 25 years there. That great event. So uh, it goes back to you know these coaches. They sustain that success, uh, and it kind of goes through the generations. And, and you know you see it passed down to assistants. And you look at a program like Wyoming, Aaron Hancock, who Obviously, uh, the Cowboys won the state championship with uh, Evan Prater back in 2018. But, you know, he was an assistant under Bernie Barry, who was there for a long time. So uh, you talk about uh, traditions and, and high school football, and Cincinnati is certainly the hotbed for that. And the rivalries are special as well, too, when you look at the games. You talk, I mean, Mulder, Elder, or Elder Mulder, St. X. Uh, I mean, you can just go on and on down the line. And, and the places that some of these games are played in as well, too. That's another aspect of it, I think, that sometimes people who've never seen a game down there, and I've had the fortune to do that, uh, it's Cincinnati, Elder, LaSalle. I mean, the games the go on and on and on. But the, the, the rivalries and the intensity and the places those games are played are special, too, aren't they? No doubt. And the kids know each other. And a lot of them have grown up in the same neighborhoods have gone to the same schools um and then obviously you know through eighth grade and then they go to different high schools and uh actually a great example of that was out at anderson high school earlier this week and uh, they played their rival turpin uh, a lot of those kids go to the same uh middle school nagel middle school and then they they uh, branch off when they go to high school so uh you know it, it's it's that familiarity it's just kind of that that Friday night tradition, you know, you talk about the success of the Bengals and getting to the Super Bowl last year in the University of Cincinnati down here. Obviously, a great run to the college football playoff in January, but uh, it all starts on Friday night. And, uh, you, you know, you see some Bengals players show up. Saw Joe Mixon in a game last week in Northern Kentucky. Um, we've seen other uh, coaches and dignitaries going to come out for a St. X Moeller game. Uh, it, it's just fun. You know, it's a fun part of uh, the weekend to get started uh, at a high school venue. Overall this year, Mike, how good a year is it in Cincinnati? I know you look at the AP top 10 or you check the computer rankings in the various divisions and Cincinnati schools certainly populate the top 10. How good a year is it for football in Cincinnati? I, I think it's been very good, uh, Marty, not just in division one, division two, where, you know, a lot of the attention is often recited there. You know, Wenton was obviously reigning state champion division two and Moeller made it uh, to the state semifinals just a year ago in division one. And obviously they're getting a lot of recognition, uh, one of the toughest schedules in all the entire country, obviously, and we could talk about that a little bit more. But, uh, you know, even in a Division three, you got Baden, state runner-up a year ago. They're undefeated. Just an impeccable record in the regular season. Coach Nick, you're already doing a fantastic job. And uh, and then how about a great story? And Western Brown senior quarterback Drew Novak, now number three on the career all-time passing yards list in OHSA history. And, uh, you know, if you want to watch some offense, you definitely want to follow the Broncos of Western Brown because uh, just an outstanding uh, student athlete, 6'6", uh, over 200 pounds. And, and, you know, for a community that may not get all the recognition in the world for uh, high school football, but certainly uh, he has brought a name to that community, almost kind of a Luke Kennard effect in some some aspects, bringing that to, to Mount Orb, Ohio, which is, uh, on the eastern side of uh, of our coverage area. But, uh, yeah, in Division Four, as I mentioned, Wyoming, uh, certainly 66 consecutive 
regular season victories uh, in a row. And, and it's just outstanding coaching there. Um, so it, it's across the board. And I think it's going to be a fun playoff season for sure. I, I'm a large, I'm a big believer, Mike, in the law of large numbers. And to hear somebody who's won 66 straight games. I mean, that's remarkable. At, at some point, you've got to have a night where you miss an extra point or you uh, you pick a pass is picked off or you fumble on a drive. One of those nights that's got to happen, which makes it even more remarkable and impressive what they've done, doesn't it? Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, they're going for their seventh consecutive Cincinnati Hills League title this Friday night. Play another undefeated team at Madeira on Friday, Madeira's Division 5 and Wyoming's Division 4. So they won't meet each other in the playoffs. But uh, I was actually talking to Coach Aaron Hancock at Wyoming this week, and he says, you know, people kind of look at that. They kind of see all the shutouts, all the numbers. By the way, C.J. Hester is going to be uh, one of the players you need to watch for the Mr. Football uh, mm -hmm. race as well because uh, he is outstanding. Uh, Western Michigan commit. He scored seven touchdowns last week in the 65-0 uh, win over Finneytown. But, uh, you know, people were talking about the shutouts and, and the margin of victory and all that, but th they've had some close ones. And, uh, you know, I think it's just, uh, you know, you talk about a school, only 2.6 mile radius there in, in Wyoming. And um, so it's not like they're pulling kids from outside, uh, you know, their district <laughs> or anything like that. You can't, you can't talk about any of that stuff. That is just pure tradition, pure high school football, and uh, a very proud moment for the entire community, for sure, as they head into the playoffs, most likely the number one seed there in Region 16. Let's not forget another program that's having a tremendous year, and that's Westchester, Lakota, Lakota, Lakota West. I, I get those confused all the time. I'm sure people down there do as well, too. But Lakota West is having a tremendous year undefeated right now. How good is that football team? No doubt about it. I mean, back-to-back -back regional final appearances. Coach Tom Bolden, if you know anything about Cincinnati High School football, you know, he's got that magnetic personality. I mean, everybody talks about, hey, getting a soundbite after the game or interview, you go to Coach Bolden, especially after the Firebirds victory. But, yeah, they've been outstanding. And talk about a secondary to watch. Uh, this postseason, uh, led by uh, safety Malik Hartford, who's obviously verbally committed to the Ohio State University, an All-American, um, just does it all for them. But they also have Ben Minnick, a Notre Dame commit, uh, also uh, Joshua Fussell, who's going to Northwestern. And then we haven't even started to talk about Tom's son, Mitch Bolden, the senior quarterback, uh, having an outstanding season. Uh, he's a dual threat running and throwing the football. And uh, uh, you talk about a four-year starter. That experience, as you know, Marty, you can't replicate that when it comes to playoff time. And he's been on that large stage. So I would definitely look for Lakota West to be a factor in Region 4. And getting out of that league that they're in, the Greater Miami Conference, that in its own right right there tells you a lot because, I mean, you're talking Princeton, you're talking Coleraine. Uh, Middletown's had, had a good run over the years. Hamilton's been strong. It's been a while since they've been a, a real factor, but they, they've had uh, a great deal of success. And then there's Lakota East just across the interstate that is also a, a good program. You win that league, you've done something. No doubt about it. Just two weeks ago, Marty, I will tell you plain and simple, the best game I've seen all season, double overtime victory, Lakota West over Fairfield. Uh, there at Fairfield Alumni Stadium. You talk about Fairfield. They have uh, some outstanding players as well. Junior quarterback and Talon Fisher is going to be uh, recruited. Uh, you're going to hear that name as, as he gets into his senior year. Uh, running back Jordan Jackson is going to West Virginia. His twin brother, actually, Josiah Jackson, plays on the defensive side of the ball. He's also going to be a Mountaineer. And uh, it was uh, a fantastic football all the way around. And, um, you know, it just shows that, you know, Lakota West persevered through that. Uh, their defense really kind of made the difference in the end. And Mitch Bolden, uh, certainly on that stage, as I mentioned, just accounting for four touchdowns, I believe, in that game. And, um, you know, it's the Firebirds kind of the dominance in their conference right now, but they've certainly been challenged. There's no doubt about it. You touched on Whitten Woods a couple of minutes ago, and I want to bring that up. We had Chad Murphy on this program a couple of weeks back, and we certainly want to send out our thoughts and prayers to, to Chad and his family. They're going through a tough time. His father passed away earlier this week. What he's done with that program, stepping into it last year, the first year, and it's not as if he had to rebuild a program. I mean, that program has had some it's won state championships. It's had a, a very successful run. He did step into some big shoes to fill last year and did a tremendous job with that. But that program, that's another one in the Cincinnati area that, again, you're in and you're out, you know they're going to be competing for state championships. No doubt about it, Marty. As we speak right now, they've won 18 consecutive games going back to last season. And remember, this was a team, and not to go back to last season for a second, but just to show you the perseverance and the obstacles they overcame. They started the season one and two in Coach Murphy's first season as a head coach. And now he was an assistant there. So let's, you know, it's not a not a first time in, in that position at all. He had been at Hamilton and Northwest High Schools before that. But uh, you talk about a coach who really got 
things going and, and, you know, got the guys together to believe. And that, that was such a fun run to Canton last year and obviously beating Akron Archbishop Hoban. But this season, they haven't missed a beat. And you're going to hear the name Jermaine Matthews, uh, outstanding cornerback who's going to go and be a Buckeye eventually. But uh, he, he's had an outstanding season. And then uh, also in that back, also in that defensive backfield, uh, Cameron Calhoun. I think he had like a 95-yard uh, return on on an interception, a pick six this year, which uh, was a program record. He's going to the University of Cincinnati, and a, an outstanding running back, uh, Trey Cornest, who's verbally committed to Georgia Tech. But uh, Coach Murphy has all the ingredients to make another run, and they certainly have had a special season there in Division Two Region Eight. You mentioned Moore a couple of moments ago. Let's talk about them. Boy, what a game it must have been up in Northeast Ohio last week, and they lost 6 nothing to Lakewood St. Edward. Uh, I mean, you talk about two powerhouse programs hooking up. Uh, that must have been a heck of a game to watch. How good is Moore this year? They're very good, Marty. And as I mentioned to you, I think I saw the stat. They have the ninth toughest regular season schedule in the country, according to Max Preps. And so Coach Mark Eller talked to him before the season, had him on a couple of different podcasts and interviews. And, you know, he says, hey, we're going to challenge our guys. I mean, and we know – the, uh, the the challenge at hand, uh, talking to their outstanding junior running back, Jordan Marshall, he, he said he kind of had that bad taste in our mouth when we lost uh, to Springfield there in that state semifinals. Just kind of felt like, hey, I, we got something to prove here this this upcoming season. And they certainly have done so. Uh, really a, a convincing victory over Elder to capture the GCL South title outright, which is nothing to sneeze at there <laughs> at Nippert Stadium. And uh, they have uh, some talented players, a talented linebacker core, Jordan Marshall, Certainly going to be a name you're going to watch and, and possibly a player of the year here in Cincinnati. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they face Lakewood St. Edwards again um, when it comes to a Canton because uh, um, there was only a late fumble there late in that game uh, last week against Lakewood St. Ed's. And uh, game was very, very close, just came down to two field goals. But I think if you could talk to Coach Elder and uh, some of the staff there, I, I think they'd say, hey, we'd, we'd love to have that one back and uh, maybe get another opportunity at the Eagles couple of topics before we wrap things up with Mike. Uh, your thoughts on 16 teams per region. I know it's a much-discussed topic. Uh, the OHSAA makes no bones about it. I know you probably had these discussions with even Doug Ute and some others. Uh, the finances were right at the top of it. I mean, nobody's hiding anything. We all understand that. That was a big reason for it. Some say it's watered down the postseason. Uh, I know this, the, the, the opinions are, are varied to the Cincinnati area. Mike, what do you hear? What are your thoughts on it? You know, I think with it being 16, Marty, it really doesn't matter what I'm going to say because it's not on the board to to change or vote at this point. But uh, I'm kind of old school. I, I do like the top eight uh, in each region. That's just me, kind of what I grew up with, uh, kind of knowing that and um, just feeling like, you know, it, it's a little extra incentive to earn that playoff spot. But I do see it from the other perspective, too, more opportunities uh, when you have 16. Um, just to me as a journalist, as a reporter, don't necessarily like those lopsided scores in the first round. I know there's some anomalies with that. You'll say, oh, hey, there was a couple 16s defeating, uh, you know, top seeds last year. I realize that. But for the most part, you're not going to see very, very close games when it comes to the first round. So um, I don't think it's going to go back to eight anytime soon. So my opinion probably doesn't matter much <laughs> at all. But, uh, you know, that that's kind of what I feel like in the end. And, and, you know, there's been years, obviously, with top eight, you'd say, hey, look at another team and, they should be in it. They're nine or 10 and maybe they should have been in it. So, you know, I know the coaches wanted to have 12. Mm. I had heard that before. It's kind of the happy medium, but here we are at 16 and, you know, I just don't see it changing anytime soon. Uh, I'm like you. I know my opinion doesn't carry any weight whatsoever, but I was a fan of 12. I thought that would have been a good number. You get those four buys uh, and, and it doesn't, I, I hate the word diluted, but it, it as, you, as you mentioned, we've seen some games that, I mean, they're over by the end of the second quarter, and it, it does make it difficult. But, again, I think it all kind of comes circles back around, too. Kids get a chance to play in a playoff game, which is a pretty special thing as well, too. Uh, there's also always a lot of talk, Mike, about where the state championship games are played. And I know the folks in Cincinnati, uh, you hear sometimes the complaints about having to go all the way up to Canton. And play no, Marty, never, never. <laughs> <laughs> I'll relate to you a quick story that, I, that a coach told me a couple of years ago. I've never seen a team give back a trophy because of where they want it. So that's the way I always kind of fall back on it. But what's the general feel down there? Would Cincinnati like to host these games? And, and what is it about making that drive that seems to everybody so agitated? Certainly, I think if you talk to any Cincinnati football fan, they would love to see the games come <laughs> down here and be able to be hosted. Um, but, you know, the question is, how would you do it? You know, you have to, obviously have to have those days open. Mm -hmm. Um Frankly, as a Northeast Ohio native, uh, I, you know, 
it is a long trip. I will say that, you know, it is a four hour trip uh, that, you know, most people wouldn't like to make, especially uh, early in December. But frankly, I think the setup is fantastic. I really do like Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium. I think they do a good job there in Canton. Um, you know, I think in Columbus, sometimes, you know, we, we would love to have that centrally located, but I think the atmosphere got swallowed up a little bit uh, with the large stadium. And, um, you know, frankly, I think you need to go from an OHSA perspective, you need to go where you're wanted. And I think you're they're wanted there in Stark County. And uh, here we are in the second year of a three-year uh, contract and be interesting to see if that gets renewed here in a couple of years. But uh, I think all in all, I mean, if you ask Wenton Woods coach Chad Murphy or any other of the state champion coaches from a year ago, they would say they play in the parking lot of a Kroger grocery store and it doesn't matter where you're playing, which corner of the state or anything, as long as you have that opportunity to play for a state championship and bring that hardware back to your school, I think it's a very rewarding experience at the end of the day. Mike, I've enjoyed your work for a number of years. It's always a pleasure spending time with you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Marty. I really appreciate it. Mike Dyer from WCPO.com in Cincinnati does a great job as their high school sports reporter and has covered high school sports for many, many years and does a great job calling and covering high school sports in the state of Ohio, certainly in the Cincinnati area. The Ohio Sickle Cell and Health Association, proud to be the presenting sponsor of this program, Ohio Football Weekly. For more information on sickle cell disease and how you can be prepared, visit OhioSickleCell.org. All right. Well, we talked rivalries a short time ago, and of course, when you think rivalries in high school football in the state of Ohio, Maslin and McKinley comes to the mind comes to your mind almost right away. It's the oldest rivalry in the state of Ohio, and it will renew itself this coming weekend. And visiting with us right now from ESPN 990 up in Maslin is Ray Jeske, who will be a part of the broadcast. Ray, Ray how many years has it been for you calling a Maslin McKinley game? I, I've been in some capacity, uh, this will be my 32nd year. And so uh, given playoffs and everything too, about 36, 37 games, something like that. Uh, I've been doing the play-by-play -play for 16 years. And uh, so I've, I've either been on the field uh, or, or up in the booth, one or the other. Is there any way to tell someone who's never been to one of these games or doesn't know the intensity of the rivalry Ray, how intense this rivalry really is between these two teams. I mean, goodness sakes, they've only been playing since 1894, um, as you would get your camera adjusted there. Uh, I know it's, it's a rivalry, really, that's unlike any other in high school football in the state of Ohio, isn't it? Yeah, you know what, what was interesting for me, uh, Marty, is I came here in 91, and uh, I, I was a graduate. I'm a Lakewood St. Edward alum, and you probably might not have known that. Um, I thought we played big time sports at St. Ed's. I thought so. <laughs> I thought the Ed's Ignatius game was kind of a holy war rivalry thing. Uh, previous to that, it was against Cleveland St. Joe's, who was actually the original rival before the Ignatius Ed's uh, matchup renewed in 1971. It had been dormant for about 16 years. And, uh, and, and we thought we played big time sports. And then I got to Maslin and, and I went, oh my goodness, we were apathetic. <laughs> we were apathetic compared to this. <laughs> Uh, I went to my first Maslin Beat McKinley Parade, which will happen Friday night. I went there with my wife and my then little kids and uh, rode in some kind of a vehicle, a float or something, and 10,000 people lined the street uh, on a Friday night, the night before the game. And I just couldn't believe it. It took my breath away. It was just crazy. You know, I thought, this is, this is absurd. I cannot imagine this. And then the game that year was at the odd-numbered years or at Fawcett Stadium. Uh, I'll just take a moment to mention that Maslin beat McKinley 42-13 to 13 that game. I'll just, I'll just mention that. <laughs> yeah, just mention uh, that, yeah. <laughs> Travis McGuire, 302 yards and five touchdowns. I'll just throw that in before he went to Ohio State <laughs> to try to share some reps with Eddie George. But uh, uh, it, it just, once you go to it, once you go to this game, we were talking tonight, I, I was with a group of friends, and we were talking about the 100th game, 1994. And I'm down on the field. I was a field guy. I was our Marty Bannister in those days. And I'm down there with a microphone. And uh, Bart Starr is doing the coin toss. And then a military flyover takes place. Wow. And, it, and then a six-page spread in Sports Illustrated follows the event up. And, of course, the game was 42-41, double overtime, with the Tigers winning it on a, uh, some people allege, a forward pitch. Uh, for the two-point conversion to win the game, or the touchdown followed up by the extra point, and Josh McDaniels missing the extra point that would put it into a third overtime, 
with his father, Tom McDaniels, legendary coach, a dear friend of mine, kneeling and his arm around him, you know. But those kinds of memories, unless you see that for yourself and, and drink that in, you know, I, I've been in Fawcett Stadium when it was 25,000 people, wow. literally sold out. And then the rematch three weeks later, 35,000 are at the Rubber Bowl, and not everybody can get in who's trying to. Not everybody can get their car off the highway to get to wow. the parking lot Amazing. to get into the stadium. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. It's, Amazing. it's until you experience it. And when the teams are good, that's when it really ratchets up. Yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt that at all. Uh, the game, as I mentioned earlier, uh, has it always been on Saturday afternoons, Ray? I, I would imagine at one point they did, they did play on Friday nights, but has it always been on Saturday afternoons? That's a great question, Marty. As far as I know, it goes back to, I think it just kind of Wrigley Field kind of predates lights. And so I think that somehow the time got locked in and became a tradition, but therefore it was Saturday afternoons. I, I've just seen old black and white newsreel photos of it at the same place that you've been to, that I've been there with you at uh, Paul Brown Tiger Stadium. But it was just so wide open in those days. You know, it was mm -hmm. just almost like a, a pasture and uh, just surrounded by people. So therefore, I'm sure it had to be Saturday afternoon. And I think it just got uh, kind of the, the cement hardened that way. Um, and, and so I think it's no more than that. I, I don't know that it was ever Friday nights. If it ever was, um, somebody would have to show that to me in print. I'm not aware it ever has been. Oh, that's that's interesting because I just I, I naturally I just assumed that perhaps at one point they played on Fridays, but again, that's what kind of sets yeah. it apart is playing it on Saturday afternoon. I think another thing that's interesting about it, Ray, and I don't know how many people really realize this, but these aren't conference rivals. Uh, Canton McKinley no. is in the Federal League. Maslin's an independent, and they've been an independent. Uh, you probably you know certainly better than I do. I'm not sure how many. I guess maybe it's been forever. Ha have they ever been yeah. in a league, Ray? Has Maslin ever joined yeah. a league? There was the All-American Conference, a six-team league that goes back uh, probably 50 to 80 years ago, something like that. I'd have to look up the exact numbers when it, when it you know, it, it stopped existing 40 or 50 years ago and, and for how many years previous to that that it ran. But it was great old-school public school powers. Um, you know, it was Maslin and McKinley. It was Niles McKinley, Alliance, Warren Harding, Steubenville. And uh, but but uh, Sandusky somehow got in there on a regular basis. I don't know if that was just a, uh, you know, take on somebody else. I hope I didn't misspeak or if, if there are people from around here watching this that have little gray hair, have any hair left, uh, they will correct me vociferously if I just misstated something. But I think those were the those were the teams and they all were similar in the sense that they were like steel towns, blue collar, you know, just just tough towns with tough people. The Steel Valley, uh, and 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 it's uh, it's ilk, um, you know. So it's a, it's a great heritage. And when I go back and I think of Earl Bruce coming here, maybe that's where I get Sandusky. He came here from Sandusky, mm -hmm. and uh, where he'd had a, a good run there. And then when he came came to Massland in '64, '65, he went 20 and 0, uh, right to the Ohio State uh, sidelines, and uh, and and so he's forever beloved in Massland because he never lost to McKinley, and he never lost a game. Uh, but but it was uh, uh, just towns and teams like that. Big public school powers, the parochial schools, were a thing of the future, but but not of the present that, that inaugurated that league. Ray, the, the thing about the game, and I think in some respects, you I know you've heard this. I, I know Ohio State fans will say this. Well, I don't care if we lose every game as long as we beat Michigan. Is the mindset similar? I don't care if we lose every game as long as we beat McKinley or as long as as long as Maslin uh, wins the, or as long as McKinley beats Maslin. Is the mindset kind of the same that way? Yeah, I, I think Marty and and I, I imagine it's changing over time. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm quite sure that an awful lot of people in this town in Tiger Town would trade a win over McKinley than that maybe, maybe their frustration over not having won in the playoff era, a state championship, finally has eclipsed it. But I think mm -hmm. most people, most graduating seniors, in, in the ranking of the priority of it, beating McKinley is a bigger deal than winning the state title. Wow. Uh, if, if this could be that magical year that, that the Tigers can win both, or if any of the three of the previous four years when they made it to the finals could have been that year, you know that, that might be the feather in the cap. But, but that's how strong it has been. Therefore, McKinley, a 5-4 and four team, this matters because they can ruin Maslin's season in a, in a certain way. I mean, they're both guaranteed playoff spots, mm -hmm. but it would thrill the kids from McKinley. They're going to play their hearts out on Saturday. 
and they deserve to believe that they can beat Maslin. You know, they're coming on like gangbusters. Yeah. Uh, but if they were to beat the Tigers, it would totally erase the four losses in their minds. That, that'd be gone. They'd be off and racing, you know, off and running into the playoffs. We have some notes up on the screen right now about the series. Uh, 132 games. Maslin's won 74 of them. Uh, there have been five ties. Uh, the points are somewhat uh, about a 200-point differential between the two uh, programs. Yeah. Ray, does the intensity of this rivalry carry over to basketball, to baseball, to the other sports the two schools compete in? It does. Um, uh, but, but football is sacrosanct. Football is so much bigger um, but but basketball is fierce. Uh, anything, girls' sports is fierce, and uh, you know, kind of the cliche is if they played like tiddlywinks, it would matter. These two schools, um, uh, there is a. I think part of it, Marty, is fueled by the the folklore of mm -hmm. uh, the examples of people betting houses on this game. You know, <laughs> and and surely that's going to spill over to everything else because you got to go double or nothing. And and so you hear all of these legends. I was just with a group of people earlier today and the woman told me a very a pastor's wife told me that uh, she was in Germany in 58 and somebody was placing a bet on the Massa McKinley game in Germany. Um, I, I've heard the stories of Vegas. That's wow. easy, not Germany. Come on. Yeah, that's easy. Yeah, that's easy. You can place a bet on anything out in Vegas. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's wild. Uh, Ray, as we, as we wrap this up, I want to get your thoughts. Uh, the game itself now comes up on Saturday afternoon again. It's another, as you mentioned, McKinley has a, a great opportunity. Uh, they're five and four. They're playing probably their best football of the season. And we all know how strong uh, Maslin is coming into the game at seven and one. Uh, what are some of the things that folks should look for if they get a chance to see this or listen to you guys call on Saturday? I think what Masson will want to do is establish the run with a punishing running game like they did against Fitch. Their, their big win this year, the signature win, was the win over St. Ed's. Ed came in 5-0, and the defending D1 titleist, and the Tigers were able to pull that off. They, they had kind of a miracle fumble strip late in the game, the final two minutes, final minute and a half, and were able. To, their passing game was clicking that night in a special way. Their sophomore quarterback, Jalen Slaughter, uh, their big wide receiver, Ardell Banks, torched uh, St. Ed's that night, but a couple of little quick kids uh, in uh, Braylon Tolls and uh, Kyler Wiggins, they, they're the story that because of their emergence, all of a sudden you got all kinds of weapons to deal with. Will Trell Hartson with 1,300 yards, 18 touchdowns, rushing the football, one of the best running backs in Ohio. And so, but, but Maslin, it was the next week, Marty, that Fitch came in here undefeated the next week and with a very ballyhooed defense, and the Tigers just lit them up with a punishing running game. Uh, they went from a big passing game where they threw for 300 yards, 295 and three touchdowns, uh, to a run game of over 400 yards. And it was just a punishing running game. If they can get the run game going like that, McKinley's gonna have a, a struggle. McKinley, on the other hand, has gotta be balanced. Uh, they can hit you with big plays, like is typical, has always been typical of their identity. Great athletes all over the field. Uh, Sincere McNeil, 6'4", 220-pound right, wide receiver. He's the real deal. Uh, that guy's significant. A sophomore running back that might become one of their all-time greats in a lineage of all-time greats, Nino Hill. Uh, he is going to be a, a force to be dealt with, too. Can the Tigers fence him in? It might be the Tigers' best front seven in my 30 years of being here, Marty. It's, it's got to be close. There are five kids that are probably legitimate, at least MAC-level D1 kids. And uh, between the, the, the front five or the front three, really, front, uh, they typically go with a three-man front with a bear defense. Uh, but uh, their linebackers are outstanding. Dorian Pringle is the real deal. Cody Fair is the real deal. Uh, Marcus Moore on the D-line is going to go to the University of Akron. He's the real deal. And uh, if, if they can, that'll be the matchup problem there. You know, can, can McKinley affect enough offense successfully against that front seven? And can Maslin uh, establish the run game? Because their athletes are not going to outrun them to the perimeter or in the deep threat. They're going to have to draw them in with a punishing run game first. Should be a great game, as it seemingly always is, when Maslin and McKinley get together. Ray Jeske will be on the call on Saturday afternoon on ESPN 990 up in Maslin. Ray, it's always good to see you, my friend. I appreciate you spending some time with us on what's a very busy week for you. Best of luck, and I know you'll enjoy yourself on Saturday. Yeah, and there wasn't a joke about Todd anywhere, and I, I appreciate that. <laughs>
<laughs> well, we're trying to make this okay. a class. Trying to make this a classy program, okay? We we don't want to invoke things like Let's that. Let's so. clean that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you, Marty. Privilege. <laughs> All right, Ray. Take I care. I appreciate it. Uh, Ray Jeske visiting with us here tonight. He's referring to a mutual friend of ours, Todd Bell, a longtime broadcaster uh, in uh, uh, our area, and does uh, high school football as well too. So, uh, yeah, Maslin McKinley on Saturday afternoon should be a lot of fun up in the northwest, uh, northeast part of the state of Ohio, uh, to uh, get the uh, high school football season wrapped up, week number ten. Uh, before we wrap things up tonight, uh, I want to take a moment and, and mention uh, um, a, a passing earlier this week of an individual who, if you know anything about Division Three athletics in the state of Ohio, or for that matter, high school athletics in the state of Ohio, uh, this, this guy's name will certainly be one you will know. Uh, Lenny Reich uh, passed away earlier this week uh, at, at the way, way, way too young age of 48. Uh, he, he was the longtime sports information director at Mount Union uh, with the Purple Raiders, uh, worked for the, uh, was the athletic director for the Alliance City Schools. Uh, almost every year was at the OHSCA state basketball tournaments, handling stats and doing things for the Ohio High School Athletic Association. And uh, Lenny passed away uh, somewhat unexpectedly earlier this week. And I just wanted to make sure we get a, a chance to mention and uh, tell, uh, uh, tell you folks about it, about what a, just a, a, a class, class individual this guy was. And uh, he will certainly, certainly be missed. And uh, our thoughts and prayers, all of us here at Yamo Media, and I'm sure I can speak for folks at the Ohio High School Athletic Association, their thoughts and prayers as well, too, with Lenny Reich's family. One thing that this certainly underscores, and I take no uh, hesitation in saying this, cancer sucks. And uh, this is, uh, uh, it's, uh, Lenny, Lenny was a good guy, and uh, he, will, he will certainly be missed. All right, uh, that'll do it. We're going to wrap up tonight for another edition of Ohio Football Weekly. We'll have a playoff show for you coming up next week. We'll look ahead to the opening rounds of the playoffs next Friday, the next two Fridays, high school football in the state of Ohio. We're looking forward to it. Thank you for being with us. Adam Dell, as always, a great job running this program tonight, and we thank you for joining us tonight for another edition of Ohio Football Weekly. Thanks again, everybody, for checking out this episode of Ohio Football Weekly. You can catch all of our interviews and clips from the show on our YouTube channel. That's Yamo Media Columbus. You can also see some of the clips on our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find all that information by visiting yamomedia.com. This episode was produced and edited by Adam Dell, starring Marty Bannister. Once again, we would like to thank our guest, show, Joe Idol, Mike Dyer, and Ray Jesty. Next week is the playoff show. We'll catch you here. Wednesday night at 6.30 live. You can watch the show live on our YouTube and Facebook page at Yamo Media Columbus on YouTube and on Facebook, Yamo Media. Thanks again, everybody. Have a great weekend and enjoy Week 10 football here in the great state of Ohio.